everyone. Welcome back to the Earth on Survival Guide, the podcast for all disciplines, paths, players, and game masters. With your questers, Josh and Dan, I am Dan. I'm Josh. And on today's podcast, we will be discussing all things Trollical, part four or five or something. I've lost count of all these things. But anyway, if you have any questions for us, please feel free to drop us a line at edsgpodcast at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail. We like those too. So today, we're going to talk about the southern slopes of the twilight peaks and the exiled troll moots upon those slopes so we've done the east and then the north the central and then the west and now we're doing the south so the southern and south facing slopes these are the scorched and ash covered hills barren rock gray forest this is like inhospitable mad max terrain <laughs> this is about as bad as it gets these are inhabited by a variety of creatures troll outcasts bandits and pirates so you know fun place to visit yeah the southern slopes of the twilight peaks are the ones that overlook death's sea and the scarlet sea to a lesser extent yeah and so consequently do not have the protection of a high mountain range between them and, and yeah. Death Sea, even the Black Fangs, who are in another equally inhospitable area, are on the northern side of that ridge, so that they are at least somewhat protected from the worst aspects of Death's Sea by the mountains, and then they've got the Great Sword Valley and so forth. Yeah, there, but there is not much. It is rough, dangerous, inhospitable territory. Agreed. Uh, so we'll get to some of the highlights here, because this all this setting is, of course, setting for the troll moots that live here. And Liv is uh, doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. The main part that you're going to notice is the fire slopes. These are the lava flows going from Death's Eyes all the way down to Death's Sea, on the very, very western part, uh, right up against the river between that and Carafad. So the fire slopes are these steep, steep slopes uh, hitting the shores of Death Sea. They are tall cliff sides, deep crevices, very large cracks you can fall into. You will find, however, veins of true earth and veins of fire stones. This is where you'll also find layers for fire eagles, fire birds, and of course, magma beasts, because we haven't talked about them yet at all. No, magma beasts are powerful fire creatures that are definitely a challenge for any kind of even higher powered adepts. Yeah. Just being near them will cause fire damage. They are nasty, nasty, nasty things. Yes. But the, also on the fire slopes, you will find crystal and or obsidi obsidian formations because that's what you know obsidian is is volcanic uh, glass and also by the way just in case there wasn't enough danger for you every once in a while you'll have these bursts of fire and magma pop up as well so kind of reminds me of the princess bride and the rous is just the uh, the forest they go through where every once in a while the these fire swamp pop up and fire swamp thank you couldn't think of that name escaped me but yeah this is uh not a great place to visit you don't want to no. go on vacation here <laughs> visually I would immediately say, think of Return of the King of the third Lord of the Rings movie when sure. Frodo and Sam, like the slopes of Mount Doom kind yeah. of situation. Or look at images of 
when you get like volcanic eruptions in Iceland. Oh, yeah. The Hawaiian Islands or something like that in terms of the like raw natural power that can be present there. Mm -hmm. Couple that with like the hot springs and whatnot in Yellowstone and like Wyoming and whatnot, which doesn't necessarily quite have the the broken ground, but just the hot danger Mm -hmm. that can be present there. There's a lot of natural hazards that will cause you a lot of problems. Plus the fact that you've got these steep slopes and the hot air currents coming in off of Death's Sea. Mm -hmm. The winds, if you get too close to the fire slopes, a stray gust could, you know, wreck your airship on those craggy peaks and and basically leave you to die. Yeah, then there's all these crevasses you could fall into. And so it's just, I mean, they're wide and far and deep. And it's your footing is already slanted because it's not level ground. And then you have to, you know, jump on a slant to get across these crevasses if you can. If it's if you don't have great leap, good luck with that. And so working our way eastward, we get to the burning shore. This is the shore between the fire slopes and the Scarlet Sea. So it's right smack dab in the middle. This is the northwestern shore to be more precise of the scarlet sea this is of all volcanic black rock so very rough black uh, sand yeah here you will find elemental fire creatures and more steam vents like geysers like, to josh's point there are occasional deposits of living crystal and or or a calcum just lying out in the open because why would they not be who's going to be here and maybe by the way some ancient ruins on the burning shore so perhaps there's a legend here you can tease your players with to drop by this inhospitable outpost. Yeah. The legends of these ruins could be of a time back from before Death's Sea was molten lava. Yeah. Back when it was still water. <laughs> Fertile. And so that these would have been settlements and cities and so forth that would have been along the shores of that body of water. Would have been ages and ages ago, but we're talking about, you know, the the ruins like of old Scavia. We talked about them uh, a little bit, the Scavian barges and and the the society and the place that they used to have there around the area that used to be the mist swamps and so forth. Yeah. Rough, inhospitable, black sand, beaches, very rocky, very treacherous. Here's another image for you. If you have seen the Stephen King miniseries um storm of the century oh wow that is set on like an isolated island during a storm but it's off the main coast and so it's got that rocky coastline Mm -hmm. you know you're not talking about like the california sand beaches or anything you're talking about like rough rocky craggy coastline but instead of water it's lava (laughs) (laughs) that's the kind of situation that you're dealing with yeah i just have the line from uh the mask of zorro Welcome to Hell's Outhouse. That's 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 the burning shore. <laughs> yeah. Storm of the Century. Incidentally, uh, uh, an interesting thing that you could mine for uh, horror-related ideas, given uh, what kind of goes on in the the plot line of that show. Well, yeah, it's Stephen King, so there's going to be something nasty in there somewhere. So on further to the north, actually, of the burning shore, we get to the Ashen Hills. These are the lowlands between the Gray Forest 
and the burning shore. So we're going up a little bit in elevation. This has covered all of this. The Ashen Hills are entirely covered with a fine layer of volcanic ash, tumbled boulders, and some sharp rocks. What lives here, aside from the trombos we get to, are mulgrams, hellhounds, hydras, and volus. Voluses? Volus plural? Voli? Whatever. Uh, some voluses. Also more crevasses and ash. So this is all like quicksand traps. Or that trap from, what is it, The Rise of Skywalker, the, the third movie, where they walk out of this black sand and all of a sudden just like fall through to caverns below. Oh. It was, in a, it was a Star Wars movie. I'm sure of it. Yeah, it was in one of the, the sequel trilogy. I, I don't remember was, yeah, which I think, one. I think it was Rise of Skywalker, the last one. Anyway, yeah, so this is like quicksand, but volcanic ash quicksand traps. So slightly more hospitable than the burning shore, which is to say not very, but <laughs> yeah, only slightly, you know, at least your skin is not going to be boiled off of your bones by simply being there for an extended period of time. Exactly. Yeah. You're not going to be uh, cooked slowly. The Ashen Hills are home to exiles from the troll moots and those exiles here live in caves and extinct lava tubes and it's affectionately known as Kavaheim or Mudhome. And this is a settlement that is actually somewhere in the Ashen Hills. Game Masters, make it up where you want it to be. There you are. Just north of that is the Gray Forest. This is, the bark on these trees is all pale gray. So it's not brown. It's not usual wooden colors that you've found otherwise in nature. And all the Gray Forest, by the way, is where they get all of the wood and trees used to making airships for the, of the Crystal Raiders. So this is a very heavy, dark gray. It's a very heavy wood, but it's also dark gray. How's that? Go for it. Yeah. The Thunder Sky and Swiftwind Moots get a lot of their wood from this area. The Great Sword Valley is sort of the source for the Black Fangs and Bloodlores on the other side of yeah. Skytoucher Mountain. And then... I think one of the Eastern Moots also has a little bit of agreement territory in terms of being able to take some of the wood. We talked about that, I think, where they're, you know, they they supposedly kind of each have their own claims, but there's often disputes over who gets to take what and stuff like that. Yeah, the Stoneclaws and the Swiftwinds, nobody really has any, any um, claim on parts of the Grey Forest. There's just the occasional agreement, don't take too much right now. <laughs> Maybe, maybe a couple of trees. Don't, you know, clear cut the whole place and take all the trees you want. We need to make sure this, this is still here available later on. It so. is a very large area and there is plenty of wood given how much they actually need to use. And so the yeah. disputes tend to come when harvesting groups run into each other from rival moots yeah. as opposed to <laughs> fighting for control over them the way that you would think of a traditional like border territory. Exactly. So those are the geographical areas of the Southern Twilight Peaks. So we're going to come back to the Ashen Hills and talk about this is where the Trollmoots actually live because you can't live on the fire slopes. It's just way too hot. You can't live in the burning shore. Again, way too hot, too many crevasses and stuff. So the Ashen Hills- Too many Hills dangerous kind of creatures that, are, that come out of Death's Sea and would make a snack of you, even a big troll. Totally. So the Ashen Hills is kind of where they have to live because, again, nobody has claim over the Great Forest. And the Ashen Hills is where the Kava Moot, Kavaheim, 
resides. This is not a traditional troll moot. This is mostly, if not all, banished trolls from other troll moots. They reside in the Ashen Hills. Once there, it is kind of difficult to leave because if you try to leave, well, you can't go west to the fire slopes. You can't go south to the burning shore and you really can't go east because then you're trying to hit, you know, uh, uh, Scavia and the mist swamps and so forth and so on. You've got the Scarlet Sea and the mist swamps and there's not really any way to get there. And you can't go north because then you're into the gray forest. And if you're an outcast and other trolls find you, they are going to kill you. On sight. No questions asked. And so most exiled crystal raiders will end up here if they aren't able somehow to get outside of the Twilight Peaks entirely. Yeah. If they're banished, you know, if they head south, they're going to end up here. If they head anywhere else, they're going to take their chances and try and, you know, hit the rest of bar save. So this Kava moot basically means mud. So this mud moot, Kava moot, has no chief because they're all, again, outcasts. But some individuals have exerted a command over some small groups. Draptha Iceblood is one of those people. They are a third circle Sky Raider and a sixth circle outcast, which outcast warrior is no longer a discipline. It is now a path, path. but there would be potentially a lot of outcasts that yeah. are part of the exiles. Yeah. It is not exclusively an exile troll thing, but there are certainly a significant number of outcasts that would be part of the exile community. Yes, absolutely. She would probably be redone as a higher circle Sky Raider with the outcast path. Yeah. Probably maybe like a fifth or sixth circle Sky Raider, because that would need to be minimum fifth in order to become an outcast. Mm-hmm. But then probably a third or fourth rank, rank in- outcast, possibly even fifth. I don't know. I don't remember how many ranks outcast has off the top of my head. I think it's only five. I looked at yeah, I think it is week. only five. Yeah. So, but I would be inclined to make her pretty high in that yeah. path. I agree. I'd go third or fourth myself in this one because they've been that, been at this a while. So the interesting thing about the Kava moot is obviously you were banished. You were an outcast. So you have your honor was slighted, which is why you're losing, lost your horns. But the outcasts that are here in this Kava moot kind of see it differently as far as this is a gift from the, some odd beliefs basically based upon the passions. So some see exile as a gift from Thistonius to actually challenge them. Some others embrace Thoranius, and these are the fire dancers that reside in the Ashen Hills. Some have this belief that Garlen um, has blessed them, and now they're the keepers of the hearth fire. And Jolen, Heartfire, a six-circle warrior as well, rank seven quester for Garlen, is also among them. And so has their own little tiny band. And then some have this belief that Ragok is testing them. And because they are have formed their own little band called the Avengers of Honor. Led well, by yes. Rugar, Copperblood. Because many of them have been exiled over matters of honor, it is not uncommon for them to be swallowed by bitterness and thoughts of vengeance against those who they feel have wronged them, which yes. gives the Mad Passion ample opportunity to get his hooks into them and drive them to his worship and his devotion. 
Totally. So depending upon who you come across when you send your party to the Ashen Hills, it's it, it, the, just the points of view you can encounter. The Exile from Thestonius, the uh, Embracing of Thoranius, the Fire Dancers, uh, Garlen and Ragok. That is just a milieu of four different passions in this Venn diagram yeah. of people living there. Those are the, the ones noted, but there is ample place to have more any kind of weird little cult or belief group. There's no broad organization among the exiles. They kind of form yeah. whatever communities they can. In some cases, some of them are, are barely better than cave trolls in terms of where they are, in terms of their ability. But you kind of have, in one sense, almost a microcosm of the Twilight Peaks as a whole within this small area, where you've got a whole bunch of smaller but different troll cultures, troll societies yeah. that have yeah. kind of sprung up around this shared idea of them all being exiles. But the beliefs and myths and stories that they tell themselves and the pseudo-religious practices that might have sprung up around these sorts of things could all potentially come into conflict um, and cause problems. Resources are scarce enough in much the same way that you would have the the various troll moods that we've talked about raiding and, mm -hmm. and kind of going against each other occasionally. You could have these little groups coming into conflict and raiding each other for supplies and really yeah, just almost just kind of a, a microcosm of the broader Crystal Raider culture. Yeah, because just because they're all outcasts together doesn't mean that they're all outcasts together. They are still all from their own little troll moots. And so there's probably still some of those rivalries in there, not just the fact that, yeah, you're an outcast, I'm an outcast, we should get together and maybe we have something in common. No, ah, F you. We have the Stoneclaws who still hate these guys and all these other things going on among the outcasts themselves. So rife with conflict, rife with personality, rife with just people not getting along, even though they're now at their absolute bottom <laughs> in terms of their lifestyle, their beliefs, their uh, support system. That's it. Yeah, throw that in the mix. This is just the, the smorgasbord or salad bar of just pick and choose what you want to put in these outcasts, and it's yours to play with. Because you can play with this moot who has this idea, this moot who has this idea, put them together with the outcasts. Just take one from each moot idea and put it with the outcasts and then just, you know, toss in some seasoning, go. Or you could even use this environment as a way to compare and contrast with the other moots, with the more traditional, honorable moots, and sort of maybe potentially highlight some of the problems that lie at the root of Crystal Raider culture in terms yeah. of how they approach the world and deal with things. Being able to use that opportunity, especially if you're dealing with characters that are coming in from outside mm -hmm. the Twilight Peaks. Yeah. There's an opportunity there to provide even more variety in terms of the Crystal Raider culture to continue to fragment that monoculture idea that kind of sometimes gets presented with them. Yeah, this is like this is the grab bag. The Kava mood is just, like I said, the ultimate grab bag of, okay, you like trolls, but none of the moots really suited you as far as how to use them in your campaign. Go to the Kava moot instead and throw in exactly what you want. Yeah, that's something that could potentially be a problem 
unless you are running a particularly focused crystal raider or troll game, you probably wouldn't have somebody that is from this area. No. That is very difficult. I think what you're more likely to deal with, and we're going to kind of get into this when we talk about some of the subcultures, the living legend cults that are among this community, is the ancient ruins that are found throughout this area. And what you are going to do is if you've got a group that is coming here investigating some old legend or trying to find something, key knowledge is about a thread item or whatever, they are going to come into this area that is just rife with conflicts and needing to navigate the political situation that uh, that exists within these various subgroups. Yeah, yeah. And that's going to be a social challenge as well as a physical challenge. So it'll, it'll broaden your, your party's horizons infinitely uh, when, when they get down there. So to Josh's point, we have a couple of other subgroups to talk about. So that's mostly the Kavamut right there. Then there are the living legend cults, of which there are two we can get to. The followers of Nimar. These are also Crystal Raider outcasts. They are following the legend of Nimar Firewalker, led by Regoam Goldfinder, who is a quester of Upandal uh, and fifth circle, yeah, rank four quester of Upandal and a fifth circle outcast warrior. But again, that's now a path, so that's to change them up a little bit for fourth edition. But do you want to tell us, Josh, if you know the legend of Nemar Firewalker? Well, Nemar Firewalker is the troll that, according to legend, brought the airships to the trolls. Right. What this group is dedicated to, they believe that the ruins that he found the first airships in are still somewhere here in the Ashen Hills. And so they are sort of scouring the ruins and the ancient sites around here, trying to find that location or to find whatever kind of ancient knowledge or relics that they might be able to recover and perhaps return to their homes, to their original moots as heroes for having recovered this legendary stuff. Yeah, fair. Depending on your point of view, the other outcasts that are not part of this group think they kind of suck (laughs) because they're willing to bribe or bargain or wheedle their way back in Hmm. to where they had been before. And that is sort of an insult to, you know, to their honor. Yeah. The the others feel that this should be an insult to their personal honor, that they are not standing firm in support of the thing that got them exiled. Whereas the followers themselves feel that they are the only ones who are honorable and the ones that are being true to things. Yes. Because they are more interested in the honor of their race or their clan as opposed to their own personal honor. Again, highlighting the variety of interpretations that you can have when it comes to troll honor and how one approaches it. Totally. So lots of lots of toys to play with in that sandbox, just of the followers of Namar. Then there's the living legend cult of the Watchers of Death. These outcasts live actually near Death Sea. So they're they're further away from the Ashen Hills and closer to the Burning Shores. They are, plenty of them are uh, magicians banned from the Black Fang moot. So mostly elementalists, a lot of nethermancers. 
occasionally both. So this is a fun group. <laughs> yeah. Popular perception from outside the group is that they are a death cult that worships death, when in fact that is not quite the case. The Watchers of Death believe that they are dedicated to keeping death sealed away. Yeah. They often watch the roiling lava and yeah. <laughs> the cooler and hotter spots and the and the patterns and the designs that show up in, in the cracks and the fissures. Geysers and fissures and so forth within Death Sea, and often kind of use that as a kind of scrying or omen, the same way that others might read, read tea leaves. runes or <laughs> the innards of a chicken that they yeah. cut open or anything along those lines. Like they use that as omens and auguries and things like that. Yeah. You know, they are interested in studying death, but in the sense of knowing their enemy, of knowing perhaps by gaining this knowledge that they might help keep death sealed away, mm -hmm. as opposed to the keys of death, for example, who are much more interested in uh, releasing yes. death. They're hoping perhaps to learn key knowledges or perhaps recover pattern items, if any exist, for Death's Sea as a way of helping strengthen the binding of death beneath it. Yeah. So they are creepy, weird, esoteric, bizarre, <laughs> I, I think long-term harmless, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to the, the groups there. This might be an organization or a, or a a cult that player characters might be interested in because of the arcane lore that they are yeah. gathering. And perhaps maybe if you've got a group that is doing some kind of quest to bring a fallen member back to life, like we've talked about some of the other legends about yeah. going to petition death, they might have knowledge that could help in terms of a quest along those lines or just any other kind of esoteric and unusual lore about death spirits or fire spirits or things like that that would be yeah. found through the study of things where they are balanced on the edge of this liminal space of life and death and fire yeah. and air and all that sort of thing. I, I would, I would, and I, I want to preface this. I do not mean this as a slight or an insult. I find it as a, an oddity to point out. I think the watchers of death would draw a comparison, at least in my mind, correct me if I'm wrong, to kind of a gypsy band. And again, I don't mean a slight on gypsies. I love them to death. It's just, uh, just somebody on the fringes, a little outside, and other people would view them as slightly strange because these are the watchers of death. Yeah, I don't know that I would go that far. That's fine. I can see what you're getting at in terms of a group that that is marginalized and kind of on the edges of society. Even the edges of this edge of society. So Yeah. I don't see that really being the case. Fair. With this group. I see where you're coming from, but I, I don't know that I would agree with that. That's fine. It's an interpretation. Had to lay it out there. So lastly. Uh, well, not lastly, we have one more. Uh, second to last, we have the Pirates of the Scarlet Sea. Now, these pirates are not crystal raiders. They can be trolls. They can be orcs. They can be whoever's in the air operating these ships. Now, the Pirates of the Scarlet Sea are pretty much 
I can't say ignored, but the troll moots that are around the stone claws and the black fangs and everybody else don't care about the pirates of the Scarlet Sea. They actually see this as, okay, fine. That's what troll culture does. If you're strong enough to take it, you get to take it. So the pirates get to take things. What the troll moots may not know is that some of these pirates are Theron privateers using Theron slaving ships to do their pirating. So that could be an interesting, I'm not entirely sure how to work that in. If your player characters are going to come across the pirates and maybe one of the legitimate troll moots, not legitimate, one of the North Central or Western troll moots know about this. So there's something here you can probably lace in for, yeah, for a long campaign. I think campaign. the pirates, broadly speaking, are just sort of a thing that is there to provide a potential threat to travel in that area, particularly airship travel or to yeah. fire mining operations or things like that. Mm-hmm. And so some of them are Theron, some of them are independent. Yeah. This gives you a reason to have a hazard that is not necessarily a Crystal Raider band <laughs> that you might run into when you're dealing with this environment and this part of Bar Save. Fair. The Pirates of the Scarlet Sea would be something that would be a threat, I imagine, that some of the the mining companies and so forth out of Trevar would probably be very interested in dealing with in some capacity. Yeah. I don't think that there's something that could ever be particularly eradicated because they're not really broadly organized in any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, they're kind of like the independent ships and pirates on the Serpent River that aren't yeah. affiliated with any Europa Goy. They're just a hazard that you sometimes need to deal with. Yeah. They're just there. They exist. And it, it just flushes out the region a little bit more. So not that the the Kavamut was left alone and there's not really any external threat because they've been outcast already. No, no, no. There's the pirates of the Scarlet Sea have to worry about as well. And so do they. So one of those things. The last thing we should talk about is Votana. Josh, take it away. Votana the Grey Woman. <laughs> she is a legendary, mystical, mysterious figure that nobody knows really where she lives, but she is something that has been part of the Twilight Peaks for as long as anybody can recall. She presumably has a home that is hidden somewhere in the Grey Forest, but nobody knows where it is. She has appeared at various times, either in person or in dreams, to various trolls in the Twilight Peaks. She is tall, but she might not be a troll. Nobody has ever actually really seen her. She is always wrapped up completely in these ash gray robes, including, you know, a headpiece that completely obscures her head, except for where her eyes are visible and her skin is also sort of ashy gray. Mm -hmm. Because of where she lives and her size, many people assume that she is a troll, but others say that she moves with the grace of an elf. There's various other sort of things that go on. She's this kind of mysterious, I I almost want to say Baba Yaga kind of figure. Yeah. I don't think that she necessarily has quite the nasty 
undertones that Baba Yaga has, but I get that similar kind of vibe in terms of this mysterious, powerful sorceress. Yeah. Like and hermit. will appear to people or people can seek her out when they are in need of something and she might provide the information or strike a deal or whatever. Mm-hmm. The truth of her nature is not revealed. Uh, it is said that she has been appearing more frequently uh, in this book, and perhaps yeah. that is something that is related to the growing conflict with the Therans and whatnot at the time that this book was written. Probably. Perhaps trying to work things herself to start maybe getting the moots working together. Yeah. She's this weird, iconic, legendary figure that does exist, but there's just a bunch of different stories about how she has appeared to various notable figures in Crystal Raider culture recently yeah. and and even further back. I get the feeling in a sense that there are stories of the Grey Woman going back even before the Scourge. The question is, is this the same Grey Woman or someone is this something that is handed down individual to individual or something along those lines? Yeah. She's just a sort of weird, mysterious, enigmatic figure. Is she something akin to the passions? Is she a powerful spirit? Is she some kind of Is she a ghost? <laughs> ghost or immortal name giver of some We don't yeah. know. It's not clear. She's powerful. She's mysterious. Yep. Similar to like the old man of the nets from Tuscrang legend. Oh, yeah. This feels like something along those lines like this is this sort of legendary culture hero in the classic like Greek myth sense mm-hmm. that will show up when things are portentous, kind of showing up to nudge things one way or the other for reasons that aren't quite clear to everybody. And it doesn't appear to necessarily be malignant or evil, but also is not necessarily always friendly and benign. So kind of like a Game Master Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, in in a little bit of a sense, you could certainly look at it that way. She is considered by the trolls of the Twilight Peaks to be more of a force of nature than a person. That makes sense. No one can say whether Votana's appearance will be a blessing, a curse, or neither, but all of the Tromoots have learned to be polite and respectful of the Grey Woman when she chooses to <laughs> grace them with her presence. <laughs> When you think of clans like the Bloodlores, yeah, this is someone who makes them respectful. <laughs> There's quite a bit of uh, mystery and, and interest and intrigue yes. around her. Yeah, so I figured that that's a pretty darn good, well-sized, very fleshed-out sandbox in just the southern twilight peaks with all four of those areas all those personalities the the couple the couple of living legend cults votana the pirates and the kavamut wow that i mean that could that can keep you entertained for a good long time before you even get to the actual other troll moods we've already talked about so the the remnants here is this if you've got a group that is messing around on the southern slopes for whatever reason yeah. There is plenty that, that they could encounter and plenty of interesting <laughs> things that can happen as they deal with this area. Yeah, I, I 
reading through the essays on this part, the I, I have this recurring vision in my head of somebody stepping on just this differently colored volcanic ash, falling through a crevasse 20, 30 yards, and coming across old ruins of some kind that haven't been touched because they're in this old volcanic, you know, pocket and this gigantic castle or care or something is there. And you're just like, oh, well then, and you know, there you go. There's another little side jaunt to your adventure, or maybe that's the whole point of your adventure. I don't know, but I have this recurring vision in my head of that happening. So I need to write that down and make that happen one of these days. Yeah. Because I do. <laughs> so any final thoughts on this sandbox? No. Playground? I've covered everything that I want to say in regards to this. Fair. I think continuing to provide variety and differences and little groups and personalities and organizations that would have their own goals and whatnot that would be interesting to interact with or to be related somehow to an idea. There's a um, an adventure idea in there connecting the Watchers of Death, like where the Keys of Death maybe gain an interest in them. Mm. As to all, all, all the things that we've done so far that are drawing from first editions, this is a first edition book. This is some of the best writing in the first edition material is the flushing out of these trolls. Yeah. In terms of the world building and, and the setting development for this area, it is it is really good. And I'm not surprised, honestly. Yeah. It was it was Steve Kenson, <laughs> who is first off, a great guy. Yeah. And has written a bunch of other stuff and and has I've sung his praises before. This is Rightfully so. Really good work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well done, Steve. So uh, until next time, folks. Yeah. Don't get caught in the <laughs> southern slopes of the Twilight Peaks, because this is not a nice place to be. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>